other malignant When other comes in, you have to increase happiness. So I was looking for a very, very happy guy. Someone that uh, I found David. David not only is he happy, but he makes his whole meeting happy. <laughs> so without further ado, we have David Sachs on the happy So, uh, maybe, can you hear me okay without the microphone? Is that okay? Maybe I'll just uh, open the recording. Okay, great. So, uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. And uh, we'll just jump right in. So, Purim is, I think, my, my favorite holiday of the year. I love Purim. And... Uh, and for me, it's really, it's, it's, it's the deepest. It, it's just uh, beyond, 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 beyond. And, and I saw um, a teaching uh, in the name of the, uh, the Maggid of Mezrich, um, where he said that on Purim, we, we have the ability to, to elevate uh, the mundane to the highest place. And that even the mundane... Right, which means the, the everyday, the worldly, you know, the, the boring, if you will, that, that that sort of corresponds, it correlates with this idea of cursed is Haman. But everybody knows that on Purim you have to reach a place where blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman are like interchangeable in your mind. So, so the Maggid of Mezrich is saying that that on Purim, through the power of Purim, that you're able to reach a place where even the everyday ordinary reaches a place of like the far out spiritual. So how do you do it? It's through the love that you can reach and elevate on on Purim. So, so how do you do this? What, 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 what is the process exactly? So um, I want to try to maybe explain that a little bit and... And I always like to, uh, whenever possible, go back to the Garden of Eden. So, in, in all senses, but, but there's a Gomorrah in Hulin that asks the question, um, where do we see Hanun uh, in, in, in the Chumash, in the five books? And they give a very, very deep answer. They just hint at something, but like, once you read this line, you know, your, your brain starts expanding. So... So I'll just start with the line of the Gomorrah, and then I'm going to kind of run off with it. Which is, it says, that it says in the Chumash, Hamin Ha'etz. So, so, this is very, very, very heavy, very, very deep, because, yeah, you hear the name Haman, Hamin Ha'etz, but, but what Eitz are they talking about there? They're talking about the Eitz Hadats, the Tree of Knowledge, right, where where everything happens. That's the beginning of, of every exile is the tree of knowledge. So the simple level, the most simple level is like this. What does it mean, Hamin Ha'etz? That just like Haman was hanged at the end of the account from, from the gallows, from the wooden gallows, from the eights. So that's, that's hinted at all the way in the Chumash. Not just Haman, but his end that he's going to be eliminated. Okay, so that's good. Except for the fact that they're talking about 
the tree of knowledge. Right? They're also simultaneously making reference to that. Now, how does Haman connect to the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden? So now I'm going to try to explain that aspect which the Gomorrah is, is sort of directing us toward, but isn't talking about explicitly. So, Haman wanted to do what? He wanted to exterminate all of us. And what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge? Death entered into the world. So now you see, wow, the sages of the Gomorrah are really like getting into something very deep here. Because they're correlating Haman's origins with the origins of death in the world. Because he's connected to the tree of knowledge, and tree of knowledge is when death enters into the world, right? Everyone gets that connection. Now, I saw this, I saw this Torah in um, Rabbi Glazerson's book, Above the Zodiac, a book I very much recommend. It's an English Torah book, and he's giving all these uh, Torahs from the B'nai Yisachar over and Reb Sadek Akoyim. I, I really recommend it, because it's, it's easy reading, but it's, it's like super dense and filled with unbelievable unbelievable teachings. One of them I'd like to connect to what we're talking about right now. I never heard this before, and it's just, once you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is exactly it. So, the word for tree is Elon. Okay? Elon is the Gematria 91. 91 is a big number in Torah because it's the combination of two names of Hashem, which stand for the revealed and for the hidden. Yudke Bavke is 26, and when you add that to the number 65, which is the name of Hashem, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud, right, which stands for this world, it's sort of like very thematically connected to the name Elohim. So when you have Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud, which is 65, and Yudke Bavke, which is 26, that adds up to 91, which is the Gematria of tree, Elah. Right? But now listen to this. What happened when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitzadas, from the tree of knowledge? So what happened was, these two names of Hashem separated in the world. Meaning to say that, that this, this name, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud, which represents sort of like the physical aspect of the universe, became removed or distanced from, at least uh, on the level of perception, on the level of the senses anyway, from this ethereal, infinite name, Yudke Bavke. So that it seemed like the physical and the spiritual were not necessarily attached so much anymore. Do you see? And so that's the beginning of exile. Because we think that we're in a realm of separation. That we're in a realm where God doesn't exist within every aspect of every particle of every being, which of course He does. In fact, how awesome is the extent of Hashem's divine providence? So the Baal Shem Tov says something, which is really something, like maybe you've heard every leaf of every tree, right? But I don't know if you heard this part necessarily, that in a valley, right? In a valley that no human eye will ever see, there are blades of grass, and Hashem providentially decrees how long each blade of grass is going to live, 
and which direction it's going to move in the wind from left to right over the course of its entire life. And these are blades of grass that no human eye is ever going to see. That's how extensive and how all-pervasive God's guidance of this world is. And yet, what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge, right, where the Gomorrah is saying that Haman is, is to be found in the Chumash, is where these two names, so to speak, at least on the level of our senses, become separated. So, what does Purim do? How does Purim fix all of this? So I was thinking about this, uh, and uh, this kind of came to me, which is, you know, it's very, very striking that Adar, the month of Purim, happens in the twelfth month. The twelfth month of the year, the last month of the year. Everybody knows when we leave Egypt, we get the mitzvah to make a calendar. And so since that's when we're leaving Egypt, that's the month of Nisan, that's counted as the first month. And then you go all the way down to the twelfth month, which is Adar. So, Nisan is the month of miracles. And, you know, there, when you have the name of Hashem, the Yudke Bavke, right, each month has a different correlation, a different permutation, it's serum of the Yudke Bavke. So, interestingly, right, you combine the letters, you rearrange the letters. Interestingly, the month of Nisan, here's the arrangement, the combination of letters for the month of Nisan, which is the month of miracles. It's Yud and He and Vav and He. In other words, there's no scrambling at all. It's absolutely open and clear and revealed because it's the month of miracles. But Adar, Adar is the month that's the furthest away from open revelation. Right? Adar, therefore, you see on this level, just in terms of the ordering of the months, Adar is the month of concealment. But let's go deeper into this idea. So, it hit me, it's the twelfth month. It's the twelfth month. Alright? And yet, in this month, in this month, it becomes revealed that Hashem is behind all of the hiddenness. Right? That's why this is the most appropriate month for Purim. Because the month which is further away, furthest away from the, the open revealed light, the most darkness, is the month where Hashem picks to show, and yet I'm absolutely everywhere and I'm absolutely guiding all of events. Now, now I ran across this teaching. Um, see, because it's the twelfth month. I ran across this teaching from the Magalia Mukos, the one I'm about to tell you. And if you don't know who the Magalia Mukos is, you know, he was one of the greatest, greatest Jewish rabbis ever, one of the greatest mystics. He was the chief rabbi of Krakow, like in 1600, when this was the number one rabbinic post in the world. Okay, and it says on his tombstone that he was visited by Eliyahu Hanavi, Many times. It says it on his students' so. so this teaching comes from the Magalia Mukos. And it's just talking about the number 12, but I want to connect it to Adar and the fact that Purim happens in the 12th month. He says that when Yaakov Avinu went to sleep, 
on the twelve stones, right? And he wakes up and he realizes that he was sleeping in the place of the base of Mikdash, the holy temple, the portal between heaven and earth. And all those twelve stones, miraculously, when he wakes up, get joined together and become one stone. So listen to what the Magalia Muko says, what, what Yaakov Avinu's kavanas were, in terms of the twelve stones. You ready? He says that these twelve stones, each one stands for a different combination of the Yudke Babke. Because we said that there are twelve different ways to combine Hashem's holiest name. So these are all the different combinations, all the different orderings of the Yudke Babke. But now listen to this, okay? He also says that the words Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that's six words. And the, and the, and, and the verse Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Le'elam Ba'ed, another six words. And that Yaakov Avinu was combining these two things because Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, six words, stands for the unification of the heavens. And Baruch Shem Kavod Machuso Le'elam Ba'ed, also six words, is the unification of the earthly realms. And what Yaakov Avinu was doing was putting these two concepts together to show that heaven and earth are one. And in doing so, he was rectifying the Chet of Adam HaRishon. Because at that time, Yaakov has the dream of the ladder. And the ladder is stretching from heaven all the way to earth. And that's the ideal status of a human being. Right? Who's straddling heaven and earth. Okay? So this idea of the twelfth month, let's just change the perspective one more time. Because twelve, these unifications of heaven and earth are all embodied within the number of twelve. And this is where Purim is the month where Purim is taking place. Now I want to suggest the following thing, a new thought maybe. Which is to see the calendar year as a microcosm of Jewish and world history. Meaning to say that Nisan is the beginning of the world. And in fact, there's an opinion in the Gomorrah that the world was actually created in Nisan. Alright? And then the twelfth month, which is the last month, would be the time of Mashiach, the end of creation. And so, if you see it that way, what we're saying right now all comes together very beautifully. Because the, the end of the exile, which Purim symbolizes, is the time of ultimate unification, heaven and earth coming back together, which is the rectification of the tree of knowledge, which is these two names coming back together, the name which represents Aleph, Dalit, Nunin, Yud, which represents physicality in this world, and Yudke, Bavke, all coming back together, and this Tikkun being made. And now with all of this in mind, let's return back to what the Maggid of Mezrich says, that on Purim, that with the love that's generated by Purim, you can turn even the mundane, worldly aspects of your life the cursed is humming aspects of a person's life, so that it's indistinguishable from blessed is Mordechai. How? 
Because when you make this tikkun, when you make this unification and this rectification, you realize that God is absolutely everywhere and is in every aspect of your life and that it's all coming from a place of love. And then at that point, what could be mundane? What is mundane? You're swimming through God's love. Whatever you're doing, God's hand is directly upon you. Good answer.